After reciting the Tashahud, Da'awuz, and Surah Al-Fatiha, Hazrat Khalid Musi V, Ayyadullah Ta'ala bin Nasir Aziz, stated, Previously, incidents in the life of Hazrat Umar anhu were being narrated. I will briefly mention about the battles and expeditions he participated in. Hazrat Umar bin Khattab participated in all battles alongside the Holy Prophet wasallam, including the battles of Badr, Uhud, and Khandaq. Apart from this, he also participated in a number of expeditions in which the Holy Prophet was not present, and in some of them he was appointed as the commander of the army. At the time of departure for the Battle of Badr, the companions had 70 camels between them. As such, one camel had to be allotted to three individuals, and each of them would take turns to ride upon it. Hazrat Abu Bakr Hazrat Umar and Hazrat Abdul Rahman bin Auf anhum, shared one camel and took turns to ride it. In relation to the departure of the Holy Prophet for the Battle of Badr, it is mentioned that the Holy Prophet left Medina in order to stop the caravan of Abu Sufyan, which was approaching from Syria. When the Muslims reached Zafran, which was situated on the outskirts of Medina near to the Safra Valley, the Holy Prophet was informed that the Quraysh had set out in order to protect this trade caravan. The Holy Prophet consulted with his companions and informed them that an army from Mecca was swiftly heading towards them and asked their opinion in this regard. He asked, if instead of fighting this army, they prefer to confront the trade caravan. They replied in the affirmative. That is, one group said that with regards to facing the enemy, they prefer to confront the trade caravan. In one narration, it is mentioned that one group said, Had you informed us about a battle, we would have prepared for it. However, we have set out for this trade caravan. In another narration, it is mentioned that they said, O Messenger of Allah, you should leave the enemy and head towards the trade caravan. Upon this, the color of the blessed countenance of the Holy Prophet changed. Hazrat Abu Ayyub relates that this very incident was the cause of the following revelation. Meaning, as it was thy Lord who rightfully brought thee forth from thy house, while a party of the believers were averse. At the time, Hazrat Abu Bakr stood up and very eloquently said a few words. Following this, Hazrat Umar stood up and also spoke briefly in an articulate manner. Then, 
Miqdad stood up and said, O Messenger of Allah, let us head towards wherever Allah has commanded you to go. We are with you. By Allah, we will not say to you what the children of Israel said to Moses. Fadhab anta wa rabbuka faqatila inna hahuna qa'idun. Meaning, therefore, go thou and thy Lord and fight. And here we sit. They said, rather, we will fight with you as long as there is life within us. Hazrat ibn Abbas anhu relates that when they captured prisoners, that is, when the Muslims captured prisoners during the Battle of Badr, the Holy Prophet said to Hazrat Abu Bakr and Hazrat Umar, What is your opinion in relation to these prisoners? Hazrat Abu Bakr anhu replied, O Messenger of Allah, these are our paternal cousins and relatives. I think you ought to take some ransom instead as that will strengthen us against the disbelievers and it is possible that Allah the Almighty will guide them towards Islam. The Holy Prophet ﷺ then said, O Ibn Khattab, what is your opinion on this? Hazrat Umar replied, No, O Messenger of Allah, by God, I do not hold the same opinion as Abu Bakr. It is my opinion that you should hand them over to us so that we should kill them. Hand Akil over to Ali so he can cut off his head and hand such and such person who was related to Hazrat Umar anhu, so that I may sever his head because they are all disbelievers and among the leaders of the Quraysh. The Holy Prophet gave preference to the opinion of Hazrat Abu Bakr anhu. Hazrat Umar narrates, The Holy Prophet did not choose my opinion. The next day I came and saw that both the Holy Prophet and Abu Bakr were sat weeping. I asked, O Messenger of Allah, what has caused you and your companion to cry? Tell me the reason, for I will weep if I am moved by it, or if not, then at the least I will make my appearance to seem as if I am crying. The Holy Prophet replied, I weep over the punishment that was shown to me regarding those companions who suggested that I ought to take ransom. It was shown to me closer than this tree. Are you referring to a tree that was near to him? Subsequently, Allah the Almighty then revealed the following verse. مَا كَانَ لِنَبِيٍ أَنْ يَكُونَ لَهُ أَسْرَى حَتَّى فِي الْأَرْضِ Meaning, it does not behove a prophet that he should have captives until he engages in regular fighting in the land. Then leaving aside the next two verses, it was revealed up to فَكُلُوا مِمَّا غَنِمْتُمْ حَلَالًا طَيِّبًا Meaning, so eat of that which you have won in war, as lawful and good. Thus, Allah made the spoils of war lawful for them. This is a narration of Sahih Muslim. In this narration, the words in the beginning which state that the Holy Prophet and Hazrat Abu Bakr were weeping and the subject matter of the subsequent verses that were revealed render the entire narration ambiguous and the matter remains unclear. However, deeming this narration to be correct, the majority of the historians, biographers and commentators of the Qur'an have written that Allah the Almighty expressed displeasure at the suggestion that the captives of Badr should be freed after taking ransom and instead favoured the opinion of Hazrat Umar anhu. Those who have written about the life and character of Hazrat Umar usually pen a chapter about the Quranic injunctions that were revealed in line with the opinions of Hazrat Umar. It is mentioned therein that with regards to the captives of Badr, Allah the Almighty favoured the opinion of Hazrat Umar. But as mentioned, this makes the matter unclear. 
In fact, it seems that the biographers and commentators of the Qur'an have erred in their understanding of this narration. Nonetheless, there is a note from the unpublished notes of Hazrat Muslim anhu, which rejects their conclusions and the explanation given by him seems to be the correct interpretation. It seems that they have created this narration to needlessly elevate the status of Hazrat Umar or they have erred in their understanding of the narration. Nevertheless, expounding upon verse 68 of Surah Al-Anfal, Hazrat Muslimaud states, Prior to the advent of Islam, there was a custom in Arabia, which regrettably is still prevalent in some parts of the world today, that even if no war has taken place, people would be taken captive and enslaved. This verse abolishes this abhorrent custom and in plain words has commanded that a person can only be taken captive after the commencement of war against an opponent. If a war has not taken place, then it is unlawful to make someone a captive. This verse has been severely misinterpreted. Hazrat Muslim further states, After the Battle of Badr, when the Muslims had captured some of the Meccans, the Holy Prophet sought advice from his companions about what to do with them. Hazrat Umar was of the opinion that they ought to be killed, whereas Hazrat Abu Bakr opined that they ought to be released for a ransom. The Holy Prophet preferred the advice of Hazrat Abu Bakr This is verse 68 of Surah Al-Anfal. in which it is mentioned that it is not lawful for a prophet to take captives unless he is engaged in an all-out war. Nonetheless, Hazrat Muslim has explained this incident in which Hazrat Abu Bakr's opinion was different to Hazrat Umar's and the Holy Prophet favoured the opinion of Hazrat Abu Bakr and thus released the captives after taking ransom. However, it is alleged that the revelation of this verse indicates that God Almighty was displeased by this deed of the Holy Prophet in that the captives should have been killed instead of taking ransom. This is the explanation of Tabari. Hazrat Muslim writes, However, this interpretation is incorrect. Firstly, until that time, no command had been revealed which prohibited releasing prisoners by taking ransom for them. Therefore, no blame can be placed upon the Holy Prophet for taking ransom. Secondly, prior to this incident, the Holy Prophet released two captives in Nakhla after taking ransom, and Allah the Almighty did not disapprove of this act. Thirdly, two verses on from this, Allah the Almighty permits the Muslims to utilize what one obtains from the spoils of war, declaring it to be lawful and good. It is an extremely far-fetched notion to say that Allah the Almighty was displeased at the Holy Prophet accepting ransom and then to declare the money obtained from it to be lawful and good. Therefore, this interpretation is wrong. And the correct interpretation is that a general principle has been mentioned here in that no one can be made a captive unless an all-out war takes place with an enemy who is subdued after the battle. From among the commentators of the Qur'an, Allama Imam Razi, 
and the famous biographer Allama Shibli Nomani also held the same opinion as has a Muslim author radiallahu anhu. Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmed Sahib writes, When the Holy Prophet returned to Medina, he sought counsel as to what should be done with the prisoners. Generally, it was a practice in Arabia to execute prisoners or make them permanent slaves. However, the disposition of the Holy Prophet was averse to such harsh measures. Moreover, no divine injunctions in this respect had been revealed either. Hazrat Abu Bakr anhu submitted, In my opinion, they should be released on ransom, because after all, they are our brethren and kindred. Who knows if tomorrow devotees of Islam are born from among these very people? However, Hazrat Umar opposed this view and said, There should be no consideration of kinship in a matter of religion. These people have become deserving of execution due to their actions. My opinion is that all of them should be executed. As a matter of fact, the Muslims should execute their respective relatives by their own hands. Swayed by his innate nature of mercy, the Holy Prophet ﷺ approved of the proposal made by Hazrat Abu Bakr. He thus issued an order against execution and directed that such idolaters who pay their ransom would be released. Therefore, subsequently, a divine injunction was also revealed to this effect. Just as Hazrat Muslimaud has also written, Therefore, it seems rather strange to use that hadith as a basis to explain the reason why the Holy Prophet and Hazrat Abu Bakr were crying. In any case, Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmed Sahib further writes, As such, a ransom of 1,000 dirhams to 4,000 dirhams was set for each individual according to his means. In this manner, all of the prisoners continue to be released. With regards to Hazrat Umar's daughter, Hazrat Hafsa's marriage to the Holy Prophet it is stated that Hazrat Hafsa's husband participated in the Battle of Badr, and on the way back from the battle, he became unwell and passed away. After this, the Holy Prophet married Hazrat Hafsa. The details of this are mentioned in Bukhari as follows. Hazrat Abdullah bin Umar radiallahu anhuma narrates that Hafsa bint Umar became a widow after the death of her husband Khunais bin Hudhafa Sahmi, who was a companion of the Holy Prophet and had participated in the Battle of Badr. He passed away in Medina. Hazrat Umar then stated, I met with Usman bin Affan and mentioned to him the proposal of Hafsa, stating, If you wish, I will give Hafsa bint Umar in marriage to you. Hazrat Usman stated, I will think over this matter. Hazrat Umar says, I waited for a few days, after which Hazrat Usman said, It seems that it is not possible for me to marry at present. Hazrat Umar states, I went to Hazrat Abu Bakr and asked him, if he wished, I would give Hafsa in marriage to him. Hazrat Abu Bakr remained quiet and did not give me an answer. Hazrat Umar says, I felt more aggrieved by Hazrat Abu Bakr than Usman, i.e. that he refused the proposal. I then waited for a few days, during which time, the Holy Prophet asked for her hand in marriage and I gave her in marriage to him. When the nikah took place, Hazrat Abu Bakr met me and said, Perhaps you were angry with me when you presented Hafsa's hand in marriage and I did not give you a reply. I said, Yes, I felt aggrieved. To which he said, Nothing stopped me from giving you a reply except that I knew that Allah's Messenger had mentioned Hazrat Hafsa and I did not wish to reveal the secret of Allah's Messenger. I, Hazrat Abu Bakr was aware that the Holy Prophet wished to send a proposal of marriage to Hazrat Hafsa.
Hazrat Abu Bakr said, I could not reveal the secret of the Holy Prophet and if he decided against marrying her, I would certainly have accepted your proposal. This was the response of Hazrat Abu Bakr Some details of this incident have been mentioned in Sirat Khatman Nabiyin by Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmed Sahib who writes, Hazrat Umar had a daughter by the name of Hafsa, who was married to a faithful companion, Khunais bin Hudafa, who had taken part in the Battle of Badr. After Badr, upon returning to Medina, Khunais fell ill and was unable to recover from his illness. Sometime after his demise, Hazrat Umar began to feel a sense of concern for her second marriage. At the time, Hafsa was over 20 years of age. Due to his simplicity in nature, Hazrat Umar met Usman bin Affan himself and mentioned that his daughter Hafsa was now a widow and that if he was interested, he could marry her. However, Hazrat Usman avoided the subject. After this, Hazrat Umar mentioned it to Hazrat Abu Bakr, but he too remained silent and did not respond. At this, Hazrat Umar was deeply saddened and in this very state of dismay, he presented himself before the Holy Prophet and submitted the entire account. The Holy Prophet responded, O Umar, do not worry at all. If Allah so wills, Hafsa shall find a better husband than Usman and Abu Bakr, and Usman shall receive a better wife than Hafsa. The Holy Prophet said this because he had already intended to marry Hafsa and to give his own daughter, Ummi Kulthum, to Hazrat Usman in marriage. Both Hazrat Usman and Hazrat Abu Bakr were aware of this and this is why they turned down the proposal of Hazrat Umar. Sometime thereafter, the Holy Prophet married his daughter Ummi Kulthum to Hazrat Usman. Following this, the Holy Prophet sent a proposal himself to Hazrat Umar for Hafsa. What more could Hazrat Umar have asked for? He very happily accepted this proposal. In Shaban 3 Hijri, Hazrat Hafsa was married to the Holy Prophet and became a part of his household. When this marriage had taken place, Hazrat Abu Bakr said to Hazrat Umar, Perhaps your heart has been saddened on my account. The fact is that I was already aware of the intention of the Holy Prophet but I could not reveal his secret without permission. Of course, if the Holy Prophet had not intended so, I would have most gladly married Hafsa. One special wisdom in marrying Hafsa was that she was the daughter of Hazrat Umar who one could say was considered the most eminent companion after Hazrat Abu Bakr and he was from among the most intimate friends of the Holy Prophet Hence, in order to further strengthen mutual relations and to compensate the grief of Hazrat Umar and Hafsa, which they sustained by the untimely demise of Khunais bin Hudafa, the Holy Prophet deemed it appropriate to marry Hafsa himself. Another general wisdom under consideration was that if the Holy Prophet had a greater number of wives, the tasks of preaching and propagation, as well as education and training, could be performed on a much wider scale with greater ease and in a more excellent manner among the women, who constitute half, if not more than half, of the world's population in some respects. In relation to Hazrat Umar's participation in the Battle of Uhud, it is written that during the Battle of Uhud, Khalid bin Walid attacked the Muslims and owing to their sudden nature of attack, the Muslims were unable to regroup themselves. Regarding its details, Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmed Sahib has written as follows. The army of the Quraysh had pretty much surrounded them from all four fronts and continued to crush the Muslims moment by moment through repeated attacks. Yet, even after all this, the Muslims would have may well regained themselves shortly thereafter. But the outrage was that a blood warrior from among the Quraysh named Abdullah bin Qamiyah attacked Musa bin Umair, the flag-bearer of the Muslims, and severed his right hand with a blow of his sword. Musa immediately clutched the flag with his other hand and advanced to confront Ibn Qamiyah. But in his second blow, the other hand was severed as well. 
Upon this, Musab joined both of his severed hands together in an endeavor to keep the Islamic flag from falling and held it to his chest, upon which Ibn Qamiyah struck him a third time. And this time, Musab was martyred and fell to the ground. As far as the flag was concerned, another Muslim immediately advanced and took hold of it. But since the size and figure of Musab resembled the Holy Prophet ﷺ, Ibn Qamiyah thought that he had slain the Holy Prophet ﷺ. It is also probable that this scheme of his was merely guided by motives of mischief and deceit. In any case, when Musab was martyred and fell, Ibn Qamiyah exclaimed that he had slain Muhammad ﷺ. At this news, the Muslims lost whatever composure was left in them and their force was scattered completely. Many companions fled from the field of battle in a state of dismay. At the time, the Muslims were divided into three groups. One group was those who had fled from the field of battle upon hearing the news that the Holy Prophet ﷺ had been martyred. But this group was the smallest of all. However, as mentioned in the Holy Quran, taking into consideration the special circumstances of the time and the heartfelt faith and sincerity of these people, Allah the Almighty forgave them. The second group consisted of such people who had not fled, but upon hearing the news of the martyrdom of the Holy Prophet had either lost determination or felt that now it was useless to fight. Hence, they had moved to one side of the battlefield and sat down with their heads hanging low. The third group was of those who continued to fight on without fail. Among them, some consisted of those people who were gathered around the Holy Prophet ﷺ and were exhibiting unprecedented feats of valor, and most of them were fighting in the field of battle scattered apart from one another. As these people and those from the second group continued to discover that the Holy Prophet ﷺ was alive, these people would continue to fight and close in around the Holy Prophet ﷺ in the likeness of those possessed by madness. At the time, a very dangerous war ensued, and this was a time of great trial and tribulation for the Muslims. As mentioned, upon hearing the news of the martyrdom of the Holy Prophet ﷺ, many companions lost their spirit and had thrown in their arms and moved to one side of the battlefield. Hazrat Umar was also among these people. These people were sitting to one side of the battlefield when a companion named Anas bin Nadar Ansari happened to arrive and upon seeing them began to say, What are you doing here? They responded, The Holy Prophet ﷺ has been martyred. What now is there to gain from the battle? This is the very time for battle, replied Anas, so that we may also attain the death which has been acquired by the Holy Prophet ﷺ. And then what pleasure is there in life after the demise of the Holy Prophet anyway? Then Saad bin Muaz came before him and Anas said, Saad, I can smell the fragrance of paradise from this mountain. After this, Anas penetrated the enemy ranks and was martyred in battle. After the war, his body was found to have sustained more than 80 wounds and no one could recognize his dead body. Finally, his sister identified him by a mark on his finger. The Holy Prophet ﷺ, along with a few of his companions, arrived at the foot of the valley when a group of the disbelievers launched a sudden attack and among them was also Khalid bin Walid. At the time, the Holy Prophet ﷺ prayed, Allahumma innahu la yanbaghi lahum an Meaning, O oh Allah, do not let these people reach us. After this, Hazrat Umar, along with a few Muhajireen, fought against the idolaters and eventually caused them to flee. Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmed Sahib writes, Abu Sufyan took a few of his followers and proceeded to the mountain pass where the Muslims had gathered and standing next to it, called out, O Muslims, is Muhammad among you? The Holy Prophet forbade anyone from responding and thus the companions remained silent. Then he inquired about Abu Bakr and Umar. But even at this, in accordance with the instruction of the Holy Prophet, no one responded. Upon this, in a most arrogant tone, he called out in a loud voice, All of these people have been slain, for if they had been alive, they would have responded. At this, Hazrat Umar was unable to restrain him and uncontrollably said, 
O enemy of Allah, you lie. We are all alive, and Allah shall disgrace you at our hands. Upon recognizing the voice of Hazrat Umar, Abu Sufyan said, Tell the truth, Umar. Is Muhammad alive? Indeed, indeed, said Hazrat Umar. By the grace of God, he lives and is listening to your every word. In a relatively low voice, Abu Sufyan said, Then Ibn Kamiya has lied, because I consider you to be more truthful than he. After this, Abu Sufyan exclaimed, Ulu Hubal, meaning, O Hubal, exalted by thy name. Upon the instruction of the Holy Prophet ﷺ, the companions remained silent. But the Holy Prophet ﷺ, who ordered silence for his own name, became restless upon hearing the name of an idol in parallel with the name of God the Exalted. Why do you not respond, said the Holy Prophet? The companions submitted, O Messenger of Allah, how shall we respond? The Holy Prophet ﷺ said, Proclaim, Allahu A'la wa Ajal, i.e. greatness and grandeur belongs to Allah the Exalted alone. Abu Sufyan responded, Lanal Uzza wa la Uzza lakum, i.e. we have Uzza, but you have no Uzza. The Holy Prophet ﷺ instructed the companions to say, Allahu Mawlana wa la Mawla lakum, i.e. we have Allah who is our helper, but you have no helper. After this Abu Sufyan said, Battle is like a pale. At times it rises and at times it falls. Consider this day to be a recompense for Badr. You shall find such bodies in the field of battle that have been mutilated. I did not order this, but when I found out about it, I did not find this action of my men displeasing either. Next year we shall meet again at Badr in the same days. As per the instruction of the Holy Prophet ﷺ, a companion responded, Very well then. We shall meet again. After saying this, Abu Sufyan descended with his followers and quickly thereafter, the army of the Quraysh took the road to Makkah. After the battle of Uhud, when the Holy Prophet ﷺ arrived in Medina, the hypocrites and the Jews began to rejoice and taunted the Muslims. They claimed that Muhammad is desirous of becoming a king. And yet no other prophet till this day has incurred such a loss as much as he has. He sustained injuries as well as his companions. They would also say that if those who had been slain during the battle remained behind with them, they would not have been killed. Upon this, Hazrat Umar sought permission from the Holy Prophet ﷺ to kill the hypocrites who were uttering such words. The Holy Prophet ﷺ replied, Do they not bear witness that there is none worthy of worship except Allah? and that I am the Messenger of Allah, i.e. they recite the Kalima. Upon this, Hazrat Umar submitted, Indeed they do, but alongside this, they also speak in a hypocritical manner. They only recite the Kalima owing to the fear of the sword. Thus their matter has become evident, and what was concealed in their hearts has been revealed, and Allah the Almighty has exposed their malice they harbour in their hearts. Hence we ought to punish them. The Holy Prophet ﷺ replied, I have been forbidden to kill anyone who recites the Kalima. I.e. the Holy Prophet said that he had been forbidden to kill anyone who recited the Kalima. The accounts of Hazrat Umar will continue in future, God willing. But I will now mention some details regarding certain deceased members and therefore will conclude narrating the accounts here. However, before this, I would like to draw your attention towards prayers and as I mentioned last week as well, to pray for the Palestinians who are being persecuted. Although there is a ceasefire now, history tells us that after some time, in one way or another, and through some excuse, the enemy continues to make the Palestinians a target of their injustices. May Allah the Almighty bestow His mercy and grant the Palestinians true freedom. May Allah the Almighty also grant them such leaders who possess wisdom and foresight and who are also steadfast so that they can speak up and attain their rights. Similarly, pray for the Ahmadis against whom cruelties are being perpetrated, particularly in Pakistan. May Allah the Almighty keep them in His protection.
Among the funerals, the first mention is of Qureshi Muhammad Fazlullah Sahib, who was serving as Naib Nazir Ishad Qadian. He passed away on 27th of April. Very to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. His mother's paternal grandfather and the maternal grandfather of his father was Hazrat Munshi Meherdeen Sahib, a companion of the promised Messiah salam. It was through him that Ahmadiyyat entered their family and his name is included amongst those who donated towards the construction of the Minarat al-Masih. After graduating from Jamia, Qureshi Sahib served as a teacher in Jamia for 23 years and 5 months and taught various subjects including the Holy Quran, Urdu, Kalam, Arabic grammar and literature. The total period of his service is 37 years and 7 months. By the grace of Allah the Almighty, the deceased was a Musi and is survived by his wife, a son and two daughters. Makhdoom Sahib, who is serving as Nazir Ishad, writes about him that he was a very kind and compassionate teacher in Jamia and had a very loving and friendly relation with all the students. He always worked with the utmost integrity and with the true spirit of Waqf. He would ensure that the students instilled the quality of punctuality within them. Many of the missionaries in India were his students and benefited from him. He was extremely simple by nature and spoke very little but would always speak in an intellectual and comprehensive manner. He also had the opportunity to serve as Naib Sadr Khudam Lahmdiya of India. He also had the opportunity to serve as a deputy editor of Badr newspaper for a period of 34 years. He was also the editor of Mishkat. He was also a member of the Tariqe Ahmadiyyat Committee in India. When the computerized edition of the Rahani Khuzain was published, he had the opportunity to proofread it and highlighted various typos which were later revised. He would always look at things very carefully and minutely whilst proofreading. He also had the opportunity to do a full proofread of various books of the Promise of Sahil Islam which were published individually, such as Barahina Ahmadiyya, Arya Dharam, Sat Bachan, etc. Also, the various references which have been cited by the Promise of Sahil Islam, he consulted the original sources and he would also very carefully check each and every word of the quotes from the Granth and Vedas scriptures and would highlight any discrepancies in the translation or pronunciation of the words. To always exhaust his research in every task was a notable quality of his. And he worked extremely diligently in finding the original references cited in Arya Darham and Sat Bachan and also in his checking. He would always say that these two books of the Promised Messiah have been presented to the Hindus and Sikhs as a commanding authority and that these two books are extremely significant in relation to these two religions. Hence, he stated that they should be checked very thoroughly and ensure the references are correct. The Holy Quran, which has recently been published by us in the khat manzur script, he rendered great service towards the preparation of his software. The Holy Quran was prepared by a company in Bombay and he also had a lot of contribution in this regard as well. He worked day and night in preparing the file and ensuring there were no typos. The plain Quran in the Khatim Manzur script has been published and he was currently working in preparing the Holy Quran with the English translation of Hazrat Malvi Sherli Sahib. This is almost ready and will be published very soon and the deceased had the opportunity to work in this particular project as well. Similarly, he had also worked on some of the chapters of the Holy Quran to be published with the translation of Hazrat Mir Isaq Sahib. He worked very diligently in the projects related to the Holy Quran 
particularly in publishing them in the Khat-e-Manzoor script. The Nazir of the Ishad Department writes, he was my teacher and also my wife's uncle. But despite this, as a deputy, he always spoke to me obediently and with humility. He never expressed that he was his teacher or more senior in relation to him. His students have also written that he once told them in a class that as a student in Jamia, he never took leave and nor in the whole time he was teaching there. May Allah the Almighty grant the deceased his forgiveness and mercy. The second funeral is of Sayyid Bashiruddin Ahmed Sahib, who is a missionary of the Jamaat. He is also from Qadian and passed away at the age of 83. Verily to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. He was the paternal grandson of Sayyid Sayyiduddin Sahib, who is a companion of the Promise of Islam. He was extremely devoted to his worship, regular in the Tahjid prayer, and possessed a very simple nature. He was a Musi and is survived by three sons. who are all serving in the offices of the Anjuman. The next mention is of Basharat Ahmed Sahib Heder, who was a life devotee and the son of Faiz Ahmed Sahib Shahana. He passed away at the age of 71. Verily to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. The deceased was the paternal grandson of Hazrat Abdul Karim Sahib, with whom the incident of being bitten by a rabid dog had occurred. The deceased dedicated his life for the service of Islam and moved to Qadian from Karnatik. After completing his studies from Madrasa Ahmadiyya, he served in various offices and was then appointed as in charge of Rishtanatha department. He had the opportunity to serve the community for 46 years. Despite his meagre means, he lived in a very dignified and simple manner. He possessed very high morals and was very kind. The deceased was a Musi and is survived by his wife and three daughters, whom he provided with a good education and then settled their marriages with life devotees. The next mention is of respected Dr. Muhammad Ali Khan Sahib, who was serving as the Amir Jamaat of Peshawar district. He passed away one month ago at the age of 67. Verily to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. He did bath himself while studying at FSC level. He stated that he was once sat at his uncle's shop and a person came who was very respectable. When he left, he was told that the individual was a Qadiani and that they are very good people. He stated that this was his very first introduction to the Jamaat. Then later he had a class fellow in medical college who was an Ahmadi. The Ahmadi class fellow once asked him his view regarding Jesus, peace be upon him, and whether he believed him to be alive or that he passed away. Dr. Muhammad Ali Sahib replied that he believed that he had passed away. Upon hearing this, the Ahmadi student decided that he ought to preach to him. And so he invited him to the mission house and he was introduced to the Jamaat by Basharat Bashir Sindhi Sahib, who was the missionary there at the time. At the time, the missionary was wearing shirt and trousers and the deceased was very impressed by this that on the one hand he was a Molvi and yet very modern. Bashar Bashir Sahib gave him the book Dawatul Amir to read. He says that he read it and the day he had completed it, 
he was certain of the truth of Ahmadiyyat. He accepted Ahmadiyyat in 1973 and Hazrat Khalib the third Rahimahullah accepted his bayat in 1974. It was in the same year when he accepted Ahmadiyyat that the disorders began against Ahmadiyyat in Pakistan. Upon learning that he was an Ahmadi, some students from his college gathered together and grabbing hold of him, they said to renounce Ahmadiyyat, otherwise they would kill him. The college administration was unable to do anything. The college's chancellor at the time was Ali Khan, the son of Bacha Khan. He came and freed him and took him in his vehicle. and dropped him outside of the town. He says that from there he walked back to his village barefoot where his father said to him that he was causing himself trouble and was dishonouring his family and asked why he would not leave Ahmadiyyat. He replied by saying that he would not leave Ahmadiyyat. He further says that his father continued arguing with him and due to the unstable circumstances, he was unable to continue his studies. Although the circumstances were extremely dire, he remained steadfast upon Ahmadiyyat. One day his father said that he should end this dispute and leave Ahmadiyyat. He replied, I only have one solution to ending all of this, that when you have food sent for me, you should mix some poison into it, so that I die and your problem is solved. He said to his father, because I cannot abandon the promised Messiah and his community. After this, his father never asked him to leave Ahmadiyyat. When his father passed away, he went to the funeral, but did not offer the funeral prayers. People said that this was against the tribal customs and expressed their anger, saying, what kind of son does not offer his father's funeral? In response, he said, the promise of Sayyid Islam is more important to me. Everyone else is secondary to him. Similarly, his mother treated him very harshly and told him that he was no longer her son and cut him out of everything, including the inheritance. Therefore, after this, he did not return to his village, but continued to help his mother. and would go to his uncle's home from where he would take care of her and help her financially. When she passed away, he did not offer her funeral prayer either. By this time, his younger brother also converted to Ahmadiyyat through him, and he also did not offer his mother's funeral. Upon this, people criticized them, saying, what kind of sons are they? However, they gave the same answer, saying that when it comes to the honor of the Jamaat, since these people continuously cursed the promised Messiah they would not offer their funeral prayers. They displayed extraordinary honor. He served in the army for 27 years as a doctor and retired as a lieutenant colonel. Upon his retirement, he received the Tamgai Imtiaz. After this, he worked as an assistant professor at the Nasir Teaching Hospital in Peshawar. and also served as the head of department for the Department of Psychology. When he was 32 years old, Hazrat Khalid Msi IV Rahimahullah appointed him as the president of the community in Sarhad and the district of Peshawar. In 1985, he was appointed to the board of directors of Waqfah Jadid and served in this capacity until his demise. Similarly, he was also a member of the Fazli Umar Foundation, Tahir Foundation and the Standing Shura. His younger brother is Colonel Ayub Sahib, who I mentioned earlier also accepted Ahmadiyyat. And was married to the daughter of Shamsuddin Khan Sahib, Amir of the Sarhad district. He is survived by his wife, one son and three daughters. 
His son is a Vakfinor and is serving in Tanzania under humanity first. He writes, Dr. Muhammad Ali Khan Sahib was unique in his level of truthfulness, honesty, selflessness and straightforwardness. He never mentioned anything about finances, expenditures, worldly wealth or anything like this. All of his children have written this and said that he lived a content and happy life. No matter the circumstances, even the harsh conditions of Peshawar, he always served the community in Peshawar with complete trust in the help of God Almighty. The people of Peshawar are deeply grieved by his passing. He had a profound connection with the Khilafat and was exemplary in his obedience. He had a great deal of love for the Promised Messiah Islam and the Holy Prophet and was ready to present any sacrifice for the sake of the unity of Allah the Almighty and possessed many virtuous qualities. The next funeral is of respected Muhammad Rafi Khan Shazada Sahib of Rabwa. who passed away on 30th of March. Verily to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. He was 82 years of age. He was the grandson of Hazrat Ghulam Rasul Afghani and Aisha Patani and the great-grandson of the renowned personality Hazrat Abdul Sattar Khan Sahib, all of whom were companions of the Promised Messiah He was regular in worship and had a habit of offering the Tajjit prayer since his youth. He took a great deal of pride in his faith and was very passionate about it. He was a very pious person. While in the hospital during his final illness, despite having difficulty breathing, he would recite the Holy Quran aloud. He moved to Abu Dhabi a short while after being enlisted in the Air Force there. In the Air Force Assembly, a religious cleric said that Qadianis deserve to be killed. Upon this, he bravely stood up and said, I am an Ahmadi, kill me. Later, he resigned from there and returned to Pakistan, where he opened a medical store. During this time, he served as the local president of Dal Rahmat Sharki Rajiki. He also appeared in approximately 50 episodes of the MTA program called Pashto Muzakara. He had a very loving and fatherly relationship with everyone in his locality. He would silently provide financial support to others. He was a Musi. He is survived by his wife, two sons and four daughters. The next funeral is of Ayaz Yunus Sahib of Australia. He passed away on 24th of March in the Australian state of New South Wales having drowned in a flood. Verily to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. He was a very active Khadim. And he said to Sadr Sahib that if he needed any help with any task, he should be told and he would be ready to serve. He was always prepared to render his services and would say to everyone that the doors of his house are always open so if they needed any help, they could go to him. He would always be at the forefront in helping others. He was young and unmarried. After his demise, the government approved the visa for his parents to come from Pakistan, and he was buried in the presence of government representatives. The next funeral is of Mia Tahir Ahmed Sahib, son of Mia Qurban Hussain Sahib, former worker in Vgalte Mal Salis, Rabwa, who was also the father of Idris Ahmed Sahib, who is an engineer working in the Islamabad project here. He passed away at the age of 67. Verily to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. He served as a Tarbiyat secretary in his local Jamaat. He also served as a Naib Sadr and Zaim in Sarullah. He was regular in offering his Tajjid prayers and voluntary prayers. He was regular in reciting the Holy Quran and he was a Musi. He is survived by his wife, two daughters and three sons.
The next funeral is of Rafiq Aftab Sahib of the UK, who was the father of Farooq Aftab Sahib. He passed away in the previous month of April at the age of 63. Verily to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. Farooq Sahib writes, My father possessed many good qualities. He was humble, noble, friendly with everyone, joyful and a respectful person. He was always happy. He treated others with respect, hospitable. And many people phoned us to say the same and have mentioned his wonderful qualities. He was very sincere and devoted. He would always remind his children to reign close to Khilafat and it is due to this that his children continue to serve the Jamaat. The next funeral is of respected Zarina Akhtar Sahiba, wife of Mirza Nasir Ahmed Sahib Chitti Masih, a teacher of Jamia Ahmadiyya UK, who passed away last month. Verily to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. She was also among the children of companions. She was very patient and grateful and she served her parents as well as her parents-in-law in an excellent manner. She lived her life alongside her life devotee husband with great loyalty and contentment. She lived in Ghana as well. But in spite of meagre living circumstances, she was very grateful and she and her children lived contently. She never uttered a word of complaint. She was a Musiya and one of her sons, Mirza Tokir Ahmed, is a life devotee working in MTA. The next funeral is of Hafiz Muhammad Akram Sahib who passed away this month at the age of 80 in a Tahir Heart Hospital. Verily to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. Ahmadiyyat entered his family through Hazrat Khalid Musi the first radiallahu anhu. Thereafter, his paternal grandfather pledged allegiance in the time of the Promised Messiah through a letter. He did not manage to pledge allegiance at the Promised Messiah's hands, but did so in writing. One of his grandsons, Abdul Khabir Rizwan, is serving here in the UK in the PS office. The deceased too presented himself for the service of the community. When he went to see Muhammad Ahmed Sahib Mazar, the former Amir of the Faisalabad district, to attest, he told him that if he wished to serve the faith, he should remain there with him and do so. Thereafter, he spent his entire life serving as a worker in Faisalabad Jamaat, and he always deemed it essential to give precedence to his faith over the world. He was a Musi and paid the Hissa Jaidad within his lifetime. He offered the Dajjal prayers very regularly. He taught many children in Faisalabad to read and memorize the Holy Quran. He also ensured his younger son memorized the Holy Quran. The next funeral is of respected Chaudhry Noura Ahmed Nasir Sahib, who passed away recently at the age of 82. He was the eldest son of Chaudhry Muhammad Abdullah Sahib, the Rish of Qadian. By the grace of Allah, two of his sons are life devotees. One of them, Mansoor Ahmed Nasir Sahib, is serving as the principal in a school of ours in Liberia. And Masroor Ahmed Muzaffar is serving as a missionary in Ghana. Due to both sons working in the field, they were unable to attend the funeral of their father. The deceased was also a Musi. The next funeral is of respected Mahmoud Ahmed Minha Sahib, son of Hakim Ubaidullah Minha Sahib. He passed away last month at the age of 75. Verily to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. One of his sons, Rashid Mahmoud Minhas, who is serving as a missionary, says, He was very humble in nature and possessed many good qualities. He regularly offered the Tahajjid prayers and was very devoted to Khilafat. He was always prepared to help the poor and destitute. 
His son was unable to attend the funeral as he is serving in Ghana. Likewise, another of his sons was unable to attend due to being in Malaysia. May Allah grant patience and forbearance to them all, to all the children of the deceased and all those they leave behind. May Allah elevate them in their rank and grant them forgiveness and mercy. After the Friday prayers, God willing, I shall lead their funeral prayers. Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah,